Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity, and we are so thankful to have you here today. And today we are discussing sin, seven deadly sins, if you will. And <laughs> let's get this thing kicked off right with a good quote about sin. This comes from our, uh, our dearly beloved Martin Luther on how to avoid sin. Whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus, let us drink beer. I don't know. Well said, Martin, I guess. Let us drink beer. It was a joke, obviously, from Martin Luther. Settle down. He wasn't a drunk. Although he did drink, so maybe he was a drunk. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I have no idea. It's a weird quote, but he has to be joking. Anyways, uh, yeah, we are glad you guys are in. And as you can see by the title of this video, um, we're going to discuss the idea of the seven deadly sins um, and just sort of laying some groundwork for the episodes ahead. Kind of my thought process here, and we'll dig into this more as we get into our Bible topic in the back half of this episode, but we're going to sort of overview the seven deadly sins here, sort of where they came from, why they existed, and then in the next seven weeks, or maybe 10 weeks, we'll see, you know, if something pops up, we'll squeeze it in. Mm -hmm. But we're going to look at each of these seven deadly sins by themselves as standalone sort of episodes. So today is going to be kind of an overview of what the seven deadly sins are. Um, are they still applicable? Is it something that we should think about at all, I guess? And then the next few weeks or months, we'll be looking at each of these individually. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the way that we have this at least thought out. We'll see what the world throws at us. But before we get into uh, all of this, is there anything you'd like to say? Yeah, just some prayer requests. Um, just prayers that my cousin's uh, baby uh, passes the next hearing test, their first baby. And I know <laughs> first time parents, it's so many things to worry about, but yeah, so just pray for that baby. Um, yeah, as usual, praying about our living situation. Number one, we need to be content no matter what, though. Like we probably mentioned before, you know, you can get kind of grumbling and complaining, but we did pray about where we're at now, and we know we can, we want better for the kids. That's why we want to move, but just to be thankful while we're waiting for the next thing we want. Yeah. I mean, I think we're at the point of contentment. <laughs> we you just, think? <laughs> well, you know, our list of wants has dwindled mm-hmm. to mostly just needs and it's still difficult to find a place. I am thankful about so, that. Like coming here, if God had a plan and us really downsizing and just thinking on what we need and... I'm on, on this whole like minimalist mindset kick. I love reading articles and blogs on it. I, I love think it. We should talk about that soon. Minimalism and frugality. Those yeah. are two virtues that need to come back uh, <clears throat> quick, fast, and in a hurry. So, mm-hmm. yeah, pray for us. We could always use your prayers. Um, we don't mention this this much anymore, but please consider jumping on our Discord, our social media, and share your prayer requests with us. We'd love to pray for you. Um, we all need prayer. God hears all of our prayers. Mm-hmm. So there's no sense in not asking people. I actually just read, um, one of, if you've been listening to us for a while, one of my 
New Year's resolutions was to finish um, the Martin Luther biography. And I did finish that last night. So now I get to pick up the five love languages. <laughs> Man, am I excited. So, but in there, uh, you know, talking about Martin Luther, there was a few times near, you know, sort of the back half of his life where he was near the end of his life, um, where circumstances in his life had him so weighed down that he couldn't even pray. Um, and he would call his friends over to have them pray over him when he was too worn down or um, distraught to pray for himself. And they would just mm. pray over him until his spirit was lifted back up. Mm. And, um, you know, so we obviously don't live in the same cities, but we, you know, at some point we have more opportunity to pray for people. Um, we just had a, a brother on our discord um, who has been suffering with multiple sclerosis and he had surgery on his neck. Um, he just gave us a report this week that the surgery, uh, well, the surgery had happened a while ago and that went well. Um, he's recovered from it now to where he could take his neck brace off, living a little more comfortably. Mm-hmm. Um, so praise God for that. Um, another praise report I would say is, uh, my mom, praise God. She lives by herself and she had a pretty big plumbing incident in her house. Water pipes broke, and um, but she got it cleaned up. And the blessing is, she found a godly man who was a plumber who came and gave her, um, did the work for pretty cheap. Got it mm-hmm. all cleaned up, and she got to talk about God the whole time, which is <laughs> all she ever wants oh, to talk yeah. about. So that's a blessing. <laughs> um, and then the last praise report. Just want to say thank you to all of you guys. This last episode that we released, our daily devotional on. Um, Friday, we just crossed the 10,000 download mark for our podcast, which is awesome. That is, um, Mm -hmm. we've told you guys before how difficult this podcast is to do at times. And this week especially was very difficult. I mentioned, uh, I think maybe last weekend that I was in the process of upgrading my computer. Um, and I always, it takes me a long time and I, you know, cause I do a lot with it when I'm upgrading it. So that's sort of thrown our schedule off on how we write and mm-hmm. produce the shows. Plus the kids are super busy in their sports and church and everything else. And so it's getting more difficult in this last week, especially, but you know, we, mm-hmm. I find great joy in being here and working on these and crossing 10,000 downloads. You know, it's not Joe Rogan, but that means a lot to us. And we just want to say thank you to all of you. If you've listened, mm-hmm. if you've, you know, shared us with somebody. If you've said a prayer for us, we are eternally grateful for that. So thank you so much. Please stick around, share us with a friend. Um, if you're hearing us and you haven't subscribed, you're not, haven't dropped a like, please take a second to do, do so. Um, I have one more praise. Yeah. Let us... And I don't know if we brought it up last week or the week before about praying for our friend's little boy, Hunter. Yes, Hunter. Who had his brain surgery. And although he was in an enormous amount of pain, it was really hard. Just, I mean, on them, me just reading their Facebook posts, I just can't imagine what they were going through. And um, and the mom would even say, like, she would be on her knees in the bathroom praying, crying out to God. Like, it was a really scary time. But he has recovered. He got to go home just a few days after. And it's amazing. He's just up and walking around. and. It's just, I didn't, I don't know. I didn't know you could be released that soon. And 
be walking around. I thought he'd be in bed for weeks. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's really amazing. So he's doing good. It was really amazing. And it was actually kind of <clears throat> neat. I mean, I think we told you guys, you know, the Super Bowl just happened last weekend. And um, not that God's necessarily overly concerned with who wins the Super Bowl, but Hunter's family is a Los Angeles Rams family. So um, during their tough time of their son being in the hospital they did at least get a spark of joy watching their los angeles rams win the super bowl i know i was Um, happy for them (laughs) so that's a cool thing um but that's really i think all we got so far for prayer requests again we'd love to hear from you guys so we can pray for you and um, we can praise god with you so as we uh yeah so now i guess comes our least favorite time of the week (laughs) where we uh, take our weekly walk through the valley of the shadow of death when we take a look at the news from this week. And, man, I, yeah, I was a little bit bummed out by the news. Uh, we'll kick it off with an encouraging story. And this one comes from The Blaze. And if you want to read that headline, honey. Ottawa Chief of Police resigns after saying police are unable to shut down trucker protests. And then just that little uh, section there. Yeah, he was also criticized for the response to the Freedom Convoy, which some said was insufficient and disorganized. (laughs) Yeah, that's every government solution to every problem for all time. Insufficient and disorganized. Um, But, you know, I think this is good news. Uh, I mean, Mm -hmm. in one respect, because the truckers are, um, they're winning freedom back for the Canadian people. Um, A lot of provinces in Canada have removed their mandates, their vaccine passports. And, you know, I think why I'm so interested in the Canada thing is I think a lot of times it's hard for us, not just Americans, but anybody, right? When you're in the midst of something you know, it's that whole, you can't see the forest through the trees. Like you don't realize maybe the oppression and the authoritarian sort of overreach from a government when you're in the middle of it, you know, cause you're just trying to do your day to day. You got work, you all these sorts yeah. of things. And, but when you're looking at it from the outside, you know, and you can start seeing, and, you know, for us personally, and again, we're not political pundits, um, but you know, Justin Trudeau, I think you can start seeing the rise of a dictator, right? The rise Mm -hmm. of an authoritarian. And it should put fear into all of us, I think. And largely because our country is run by people that are of the same mindset as Justin Trudeau. And, you know, thank God we have more, um, you know, constitutional rights that are harder for our versions of Justin Trudeau to trample, but it's not impossible. Um, so I think that's why I'm so interested, but it's great news because the truckers are winning. Like who would have thought of all the possible outcomes of all the people to stand and fight for freedom and win, it would just be a group of semi-truckers. <laughs> like how insane is this story? Like think about what you're going to tell your kids. You're like, well, how did the COVID pandemic end? Truck drivers, <laughs> they just got ticked off in Canada and they just parked their trucks at the Capitol and wouldn't leave for weeks. They'd be like, are you kidding me? Nope. That's it. Like as crazy as the last two years have been, that might be the craziest part of it. Hey, it's really good because 
you just see what a, a peaceful protest can accomplish. Yeah, and it's largely peaceful. I mean, you're always going to have a couple of knuckleheads running around. That doesn't dictate the entire, you know, Mm-mm. protest. And you don't know who's just showing up just to give it a bad rap, you know. Yeah. No, and I mean, I'm sure, well, and especially now, I mean, I think, you know, in this country, what are they called? It's the uh the National Front, is that who it is? You probably don't know about the National Front. So in this country, I don't know this, but there's a group called National Front that shows up to like all these Trump rallies. And the running theme is that they're FBI agents because they're always wearing like the exact same outfit. It looks like they just got off of work from the FBI, basically. (laughs) They wear full face masks so you can't see who they are. And so like in this country... We've got government officials infiltrating our protests to sort of steer the conversation whichever way they want. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's encouraging to see the truckers, but it's also discouraging to know like, I mean, this is a small handful of truckers. And if we as a country, as a community, if whoever would have done this earlier in mm-hmm. a larger um, fashion, like we talked about before, the churches. Christian in this country, if the churches would have just been like, yeah, we're not playing along with the COVID stuff, it would have just stopped. It would have stopped. And if all the Christians, we have this power and we can use it however we want and we just do nothing with it. Like we could shut down porn industries in this country. We could shut down so much of the secularization that's going on in this country, but we're just so apathetic. It is scary. Like when I think, and I'm, probably putting it in a different context with the, um, you know, the, the ones given the different number of talents. It's like, America, what have you been given? Some freedom, you know, the, the people get to have the say. Oh, you're doing nothing with it? Okay, I'll take it away. Like, yeah, that's scary because we And who would we have to blame God. but ourselves? We'd have no one to God blame God is but the ourselves. one who's given it to us. And then the Christians of all people, not using what God has given all of us. Yeah, and that's one of my favorite quotes. I don't remember who said it, but (laughs) you've got to use your freedom to defend your freedom Mm -hmm. until you, or before you lose your freedom. And yeah, we need to to wake up to that. Um, And I was thinking about this just as I was saying the whole, like, we're so apathetic. And I was thinking about this just the other day. There's a program called VidAngel. Um, and we've talked about getting it before. And VidAngel is essentially a, a a software, like a streaming service, where you can connect it to Netflix, Amazon, and you can stream any other or any program that you want and set filters, and it'll block out all the stuff that you don't want to see. And I was looking at this program, and I was like, "This is so stupid! Like, why would we watch? You know, you're like, oh, I'm going to watch the most godless shows." But I'll just have another program block out the little bit of nudity and um, the curse language and murder. There goes half the movie. <laughs> well, it might go, but you're still promoting the show. That's true. Like, mm-hmm. no, you turn your eyes away from it, right? And so I was looking at VidAngel that we've talked about getting, and then finally I was like, this is so stupid because you're still promoting the godless shows, you know, the satanic stuff that's all over Netflix and basically pornography. And you're like, you know, if you're watching porn and you block out of a woman's private parts, you're still watching the show. Like, it, so 
I don't know where I got off on that, but we have the power to stop these things. If we just learn from the truckers, um, who would have thought that'd be the place we need to learn from, but it is. And uh, I'm just so encouraged with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if you know a trucker, shake his hand. Uh, <laughs> God bless him. Stand strong. Uh, sounds like Justin Trudeau just sort of, I'm not a Canadian politician either, but it sounds like he just sort of developed emergency powers to uh, crack down on this protest. And like any good dictator, they just came out of thin air. Um, <laughs> so pray for them. They're going to need that courage um, and strength to continue this fight. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that is good news. On to a little bit of bad news. Um, and this one comes from Christianity Today, honey, if you want to read that. It says, Black Americans see the biggest shift away from faith. And then just that little paragraph. Yeah. Over more than a decade, the share of Black Americans who say that they have no religious affiliation has risen more dramatically than whites, Hispanics, or Asians. Yep. So Black Americans uh, seem to be losing their faith. Um, And there's a chart down here that sort of highlights it. And right here, you can see the the Black, um, White, Hispanic, and Asian. And the black have the highest increase of, they consider them nuns. So you're not an atheist, you're not an agnostic, you're just a nun. You have no affiliation whatsoever. You don't even, you know, you don't claim anything. Rose 15%, I think that is roughly, from 2008 to 2020. And I just saw that and it jumped off the page to me because I was like, 2008, And I thought, man, look at that increase since Barack Obama in 2008, who is maybe the most secular president of our lifetime. And I know as soon as you say that, people are going to go, ah, well, what about Trump? Even the Christians are screaming at us, I'm sure right now. But I believe you're wrong. Um, I think Trump worked hard for the religious communities. uh, But the black communities, if you see, I mean, they've been devastated in this country. And they went from basically... In this chart, you can see the least likely to consider themselves mm. religious nuns to the second highest. And I think what is so shameful specifically about this is they aren't atheists or even agnostic. They're just simply aimless. Like, yeah. at least if you're an atheist, you're like, I'm a man of science and reason, whatever, you know, stupid thing atheists come up with to, to not say. not even like ponder the idea of a God, not even think deeply beyond just, you know, like an animal, I guess. Well, because like even being an, like, that's what an agnostic would be, right? Is you're like, I don't know if there's a God. I don't know if it's a Christian God, but I'm, you know, I'm open to the idea, right? That's kind of agnostic. I'm open to the ideas, or maybe you believe in a God, but you're not sure which one, but to just be aimless, Mm -hmm. it's like, you're just not even thinking about anything. And, you know, African-Americans in this country used to be some of the most faithful and religious people in this country. Again, I've told you guys to listen to Jason Whitlock's podcast. He says a lot of the times that African-Americans, they were sort of the bedrock of Christian faith in this country, even through the slave era, civil rights era, that bedrock of Christian faith is what sort of propelled them to continue to fight, to continue to climb out of oppression to get on what was at one point almost, you know, seemed like level footing until roughly mm-hmm. 2008 
when the most secular president in American history showed up. Um, mm. And now the black community is just drifting ever further away into nothing, really, because they're not even gravitating towards anything else. They're just aimlessly wandering around with no thought whatsoever about eternity or anything. It's just, it's super sad. Yeah, um, I mean, when it comes to like a political leader, everybody's worshiping or seeing somebody as their guide, in essence. And if they're seeing Barack Obama as their one leading them, you know, he, in essence, was their God. Yeah. If he, I mean, if you could say he's the reason. No, I mean, he was for a lot of people. I mean, I think a lot of African-Americans still consider Barack Obama to be, you know, some sort of, you know, I, I don't know if they would say like, you know, deity type thing, but just a great well, leader, someone yeah. they still really look up to. Not um, that they've ever that. said that, but you're just whole, if you're not thinking God, everybody is worshiping or looking to someone or just something else beyond themselves. If it's not God, it's a person. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, and if you want to just read this paragraph right here. Even in an age of rapid secularization, the black church still plays a crucial role in the lives of African Americans through, throughout the U.S. For black pastors, the mission field is incredibly ripe, and many are heeding this call. Yeah, so, I mean, again, it's not dead and gone yet, um, but I think this is what the secular, sort of that racist um, left is attacking so ravenously in this country. Again, like we said, American or African Americans were sort of this bedrock of Christianity. You know, there's actually a neat story in uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life where he comes over to America for, uh, for the first time. You know, this mm. 20, 30-year-old German theologian, he couldn't be more white. And when he gets here, he takes a trip down to south, um, down to the south, and he starts going to these African American churches, and he falls in love with this African American sort of gospel music that they're singing down there. And for the rest of his life, you know, he he enjoyed African American gospel music. Um, so even you know, they influenced Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who mm. you know influenced us right so what's that 70 years later down the road right that bedrock of african-american christian faith um played out and uh, i think you know and we've talked about this on this show before you know in order to turn america like to truly turn it um you've got to get rid of religion and we see them attacking this on all fronts we just talked last week about racializing jesus and how we can see them maybe already having the groundwork laid to start infiltrating churches that way to sort of mm -hmm. bring churches to their knees. Um, because communism and socialism are diametrically opposed to Christianity. You know, when you're a communist, a socialist, there is no room for faith because nothing's higher than the state at that point. Um, and I think, you know, people can tell me I'm wrong and I'd be open to having the conversation, but I think Barack Obama's presidency did more damage to the you know, black Christianity in the black community than we could have ever imagined. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if only just turning them from a historically sort of steadfast Christian heritage, that was enough. I mean, if that's all he did, yeah, that's enough. I mean, a lot of damage. it's just, yeah, it's awful. That's terrible news. And we need to be praying for them. 
And again, as far as how this is applicable to Christians, we, we talked before about you, you've got to ref, uh, refute lies whenever you see them. And when we start getting into this racial division nonsense and you can't have it because they're trying to, and I'm not smart enough to formulate the thought properly, but when they're constantly trying to pit African-Americans against whites and they're trying to make Christianity a white man's religion yeah. and they're basically pitting African-Americans against Christ and against Christians. And I mean, that's obviously satanic. Um, so we've got to have the courage because it's going to be ugly. If you're a white guy trying to stand up for African-Americans and um, pushing back on, you know, racist leftists or even racist African-Americans that are striving to bring division, you know, you're probably going to be called every sort of name under the sun, but you just got to have courage. Um, you just got to be willing to call a lie a lie and fight for our, you know, brothers and sisters, whatever race they are, who cares how, I mean, it's such a stupid argument, but you, know you got to have the courage it's to do it. It's just a shame that it's something that's, you still have to fight against it. I don't know. No. And just like the truckers, if we would all stand up and go, yeah, we're kind of done playing this whole racist card nonsense, you know, it would be over. Um, like what's going to, What's it going to take for this one to end? <laughs> yeah, like if you were like, hey, if I, if I hear my politician talk race one time, I'm never voting for him again. They would quit talking race, you know, but it's just sad, you know, want to see them get back to that strong Christian heritage. Um, I don't want to see mm -hmm. anybody lose their faith over political games. Right. That's so sad. Um, this next story, uh, not too interested in the story necessarily, just more the idea of it. Um, so do you want to read that headline, honey? It says, wait, you're not deconstructing? Yep. So this comes from Christianity Today. And you can read the story. I didn't find it all that compelling. It seemed more like just kind of uh, almost like an autobiography of deconstructing, kind of, from some it's guy's life. It's been the theme this past year. That's why I'm interested in it, because yeah. I feel like this word has been popping up a lot, mm -hmm. deconstructing, deconstructing, and people seem to talk about it in a pretty positive way, like we should all be deconstructing. We talked about Paul Tripp in one of our reviews on Mars Hill, where he said, yeah, every Christian should be deconstructing. Every and I was like, Christian. whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Um, like, what if you are... A Christian who says, no, I haven't deconstructed. Like, I have reaffirmed my faith. I didn't deconstruct it, but I, like, you're just reading the word and you're checking, okay, am I believing correctly in this? Like, we're always growing, we're always sharpening each other, but through what? Through God's word. And that's why I don't like the term deconstructing. And that's what freaks me out, I guess, whenever I see it. Because to me, the idea of deconstructing is right like you're tearing it down to the uh, to the studs. Like you have to forsake and you're going to rebuild it. And say, I'm starting over. Yeah, yeah like, it's like breaking up because how do and you then starting fresh. <laughs> Christianity where it's all based on the Bible. It's all based on Christ and like if you deconstruct it like where do you go outside how far of the down Bible of the foundation? Yeah. And especially when you start talking about the deconstructing sort of movement, like who are you yeah, going to as a leader? It seems like a movement. We yeah. talked about the Josh Harris's, right? The atheists that are big in the deconstructing movement. So like, and especially today where we're such a secular Christianity, mm -hmm. like are you going to find Jamar Tisby and go and hear about racial Christianity? Or are you going to go to some 
Episcopalian church to find your trans-affirming Christianity? Like, where are you going to go if you deconstruct? So I think like Mm. what Nikki said, you know, I would say more refine your faith is something we should always be doing. Um, You know, maybe consider it more like making faith your own, I think is more of a better thought process than saying, I'm going to deconstruct, I'm going to tear it down to the studs. Right. And then somehow rebuild it. Well, who are you rebuilding term it with? To be thrown around. Yeah. Because there's, you know, and maybe there's a few of those out there that have deconstructed properly, but I just have a hard time imagining you go, I'm going to deconstruct and I'm going to Augustine. Like, no, you're probably not going to Augustine. You're not <laughs> going back to the 300s to rebuild your faith. You know, you're going with more than likely somebody modern because that's who's talking about deconstructing. Mm-hmm. And now you're, diving into some, what I would have guessed is some pretty shallow faith. Um, If you're willing to admit you need to deconstruct, then you probably don't have a firm foundation on the truth to begin with. Those who have the firm foundation are going to be like, no, you wouldn't even consider deconstructing because you're sure of your salvation. That's in scripture, the assurance of salvation. Now, if you're looking over the assurance of salvation and you're reading scripture and, and you feel like, yeah, this isn't what I learned, then yeah, you probably need to step back and reassess your faith. But when you've been in the faith for a long time, always testing yourself against God's word, there's nothing to deconstruct because you keep building on the same foundation. Yeah, and I think it's just such a modern idea. Like one of the paragraphs that he has here in this article, um, he says, Some Christians undergo a period of deconstruction when they hold church teaching up against the lived experience of friends and loved ones and see that it will make them odd. Nobody wants to be odd. They won't fit in politically or socially. A form of deconstruction can show whether our peculiarities flow from what God has asked of us or whether they're an attempt to maintain an image. And I thought this to me is maybe what freaks me out about deconstructing because that's what deconstructing is to me. You have this church teaching, and not to mention, I just, (laughs) rambling, I know, but you get so angry, because not to mention, it's almost sort of a slap in the face to your parents and Mm -hmm. the people who raised you in this faith to be like, oh, yo, what am I going to go to this church that my mom went to? Like, she doesn't understand my lived experience. Like, settle down, all right? But I think it's more of that, your lived experience, right? I don't want to be at odds with whatever I've considered myself to become. So now that my lifestyle has come into um, conflict with this biblical lifestyle, no, I need to reconsider now, right? Like what is really truth? It can't be that my lifestyle is wrong and I should change. I need to have a second look at this uh, Christian walk. And really you're just going, I'm going to go find a teacher who says that what I'm doing is okay. And I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. To me, that's the way it strikes me rather than going, man, I've been living a certain way, you know, like it talks about lived experiences, you know, Hey, I've got homosexual tendencies. I've, um, been doing whatever it is. That's my lived experience. Instead of looking at that and going, man, that doesn't line up with scripture here. Um, I need to lay that down at the cross and like repent and start moving away from that lifestyle. Uh, it, that's not the deconstructing they're talking about. They're talking about, you know, throw that old timey faith out 
and go find yourself one of these cool new faiths that tells you what you're doing is okay. Well, this is just just more confirmation that in the last days they're going to heap up teachers that are going to tell them what they want to hear. Yeah. This is more of that. This is in There's line nothing with new that. under the sun. Like everything new is old. You know, they've all, they've gone through these arguments, right? Mm-hmm. The apostles have written to sexually immoral churches. They've written to um, these uh, Gnostic, you know, mm-hmm. believers. That's all the same stuff we're dealing with today. They've answered these questions. The problem is we read it and go, nah, not good enough. No, it is. That's the answer from God. So you just either mm-hmm. accept it or you don't. Um, so deconstructing, I'm not a fan of it. Refining, I'm a big fan of. Um, Being sure of your salvation, working out your salvation with fear and trembling. And if you are going to refine, it's best to always go back to the start, which is scripture, and then maybe build forward from there. So, you mm-hmm. know, with... Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I wonder if anybody has started to consider deconstructing their faith. If any of you guys been pondering doing that yourself or if you have a different take on it yeah. you're like hey no I, no I did deconstruct and my faith is stronger let me explain it to you because explain again, what you mean by deconstruct though yeah yeah i mean obviously my worldview and my is you know slanted by how i think and how i feel so i'm naturally I'm, i mean nikki knows i'm a pretty black and white person um so when i start hearing stuff like this i'm like no nah, man like there's no gray area here. Like if you start yeah. talking about tearing down your faith, to me, that only really has one, one way of going and it's bad. Um, mm-hmm. But I could be wrong. I'm open to uh, other people's ideas. So I don't know. maybe people should deconstruct their worldly wisdom and consider faith. Yes, we should. Um, <laughs> the Republican party is not the Christian party. There's a big deconstruct for you. Um, they do not hold the, uh, the gavel on all things Christian, so don't feel like you have to vote for them because they're, uh, slimy politicians, just like the rest of them. But moving on to probably the saddest story that I've read in a long time. And, uh, we are going to, we're not going to put this one up on the stage or on the, the screen just cause there's some lurid images. Um, mm-hmm. but if you want to read that headline, honey. Victoria's Secret's new higher model has Down syndrome. Mm. Yeah, reading through this article was really like, it's just so selfish. It's horrifying. Um, it goes on to say down here, uh, cur- courtesy of Google Translate, uh, I could put this one up, there's nothing on the screen. Um, this girl, Jira, Jiru, uh, captioned the Instagram post, one day I dreamed of it. I worked on it, and today it is a dream come true. I can finally tell you my big secret. I am the first Victoria's Secret model with Down syndrome. Thanks to all of you for always supporting me in my projects. Thanks to Victoria's Secret for seeing me as a no-limits model and making me part of the Love Cloud Collection inclusion campaign. This is just the beginning. Now it is formed inside and out. There are no limits. And I thought, what a bunch of slimy scumbags at Victoria's Secret. It feels like they're just taking advantage of her to give them. This is their kudos, social you know? justice credit that yeah. they are, you know, because we've talked about this before. Um, you know, 
I think we talked about it in the vein of like the homosexual and the transgenderism thing where, you know, once this becomes your identity, it's even harder to turn back from. Like it's easy to, you know, look for repentance and turn away from a sin when it's just a sin. But when that sin becomes who you are, mm-hmm. when it becomes, especially in the case of like, you know, you see some of these uh, social justice warriors or like the LGBTQ sort of bigwigs that this becomes their living. Now it's even harder. You know, you become famous because of this sinful lifestyle. And here we have, a, I mean, she's a beautiful girl. I mean, God bless her. But this girl who has mentally challenged, who is now, like she just said, been formed in sin, inside and out. She's going to be, how is she ever going to hope to get out of this sinful lifestyle? She's just become the first mentally challenged Down syndrome, uh, basically lingerie model for Victoria's Secret. This is who she is forever. The odds of her ever coming out of that sin is so beyond. um, And it just breaks my heart for this girl. And you just wonder why she even got, why was this her dream? Is this even her words? You know, I mean, again, there's obviously different levels of, yeah. you know, Down syndrome and autism and these sorts of things. And I know Down syndrome and autism, they're not the same, um, you know, illness. Um, or not illness, if you will, but um, I can't even think of the word. They're not the same. But even to be mentally handicapped at all and to have people see that and just cling on to you for yeah. their own gain. Yeah. Um, man, this is so beyond shameful. They're just using her. It's not even about her. No, it's about them. Sports Illustrated. And this is in order for them to dodge sort of the label of just being a sexist. Because it even goes on in here. If you want to read about the stupid stuff Megan Rapinoe has said, who is obviously, as you know, the Trump-hating, America-bashing U.S. women's soccer team star. Um, She goes on in here to talk about how, you know, Sports Illustrated is, you know, they're so screwed up because the way that they've been trying to tell people what sexy is and this is just right for them. But then she goes on to tell them or to tell you in the article. So she's complaining that Sports Illustrated, no, Victoria's Secret, sorry. Victoria's Secret is wrong for sort of pushing their idea of sexy Mm -hmm. on the people. And then she goes in there and says, but I've been working basically and glad that they're starting to push my idea of sexy. So she's mad that they wanted their idea of sexy, but now she's fighting for her idea of sexy. And she doesn't see any sort of hypocrisy. Well, she says, I think it was her that said it, how they were pushing for what men thought was sexy, and now it's about what women Right, because she's a lesbian. So she's like, I hate that you want to push what men think is sexy but I want you to push what women think is sexy. Somehow that's better in this upside down world that we live in. Instead of her going, hey, why don't you stop objectifying women in general? Um, right. That'd be good. Yeah. But instead she goes, you know what? Why don't we get a Down syndrome girl out here who can make me feel better with my crazy social justice warrior, anti-freedom, anti-women group of superheroes or whatever she thinks they are just this makes me so angry and this goes back i think to what we were saying with the truckers 
man, we have the power. Like you should never purchase anything at Victoria's Secrets Mm -mm. again. You should be blasting them on Twitter endlessly until they apologize for this. Um, Because this girl, like I said, she, she even says, now it's formed. This is who she is. Her, she is a sexually immoral, um, immodest woman now. This is who she is. And she's the first ever. It's heartbreaking. This makes it me is. so angry. Um, I would like to, um, in my flesh, give in to one of these seven deadly sins we're about to get into. I know. Wrath. I'm just thinking on the ways they could take it, yeah, further in, um, you know, taking advantage of someone who they usually have a childlike mind and then they go and they're going to eventually start using children. You know it. Well, they will because uh, the rich and successful and world leaders have always been sexually depraved perverts. I don't know why we think today is any different. Yeah, you got to include everybody. The inclusion. Can't leave anyone out. So that leads us um, kind of into our Bible topic of the week. Um, And like we mentioned, we wanted to sort of just give a simple sort of overview of the seven deadly sins. And I don't know how many people really care about them, but the reason that we're going this route (laughs) is uh, we've really wanted to talk about gluttony for a long time. Mm -hmm. That's a topic we've been discussing between me and Nikki, and we just never find the right time to discuss gluttony. So, you know, we were kind of looking at it. And we're like, ah, you know what? Maybe instead of just talking about gluttony, we can talk about all the seven deadly sins. Yeah. And we'll just get to gluttony eventually. Uh, so that's kind of how this was birthed. And we just sort of, yeah, what this, you know, how these came about. But then also, does it still matter today? Does it matter if we have these seven deadly sins? If we think about the seven deadly sins, does it matter? If the, or can they just pass from history and it doesn't matter anymore? Um, so just a quick little history on them. Um, and I got this from just real quickly, the history channel.com or <laughs> history.com. Um, but it says, pull it up in the fourth century, a Christian monk named Evagrius Ponticus <laughs> wrote down what's known as the eight evil thoughts. They were gluttony, lust, avarice, anger, sloth, sadness, vainglory, and pride. If Garius wasn't writing for a general audience, as an aesthetic monk in the Eastern Church, he was writing to other monks about how these eight thoughts could interfere with their spiritual practice. If Garius's student, John Cassian, brought these ideas to the Western Church, where they were translated from Greek to Latin, then in the 6th century, St. Gregory the Great, who would become Pope Gregory I, rearranged them in his commentary on the book of Job, removing sloth and adding envy. And then instead of giving pride its own place on the list, he described it as the ruler of the other seven vices, which became known as the seven deadly sins. So that I find pretty fascinating. And then, um, I'll just read this last little bit here, um, uh, just on the idea of pride, because C.S. Lewis wrote something very similar to that 
um, of what Pope Gregory wrote. And he says, there is one vice of which no man in the world is free. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. The vice I'm talking of is pride or self-conceit. And the virtue opposite to it in Christian morals is called humility. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Each person's pride is in competition with everyone else's pride. Mm. And I just really like the way C.S. Lewis says that. I think he underscores sort of why you would take pride out of this list and make the case that it underpins all the other seven. I mean, when you think of Lucifer, like he was probably, he was comparing himself to God. Pride, thinking could one-up God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's essentially why he was cast out of heaven, was for pride. Um, have you heard the argument that it was his beauty that led to his downfall? Yeah, I have. That. I mean, that was where he found his pride in. He was mm, like the most beautiful yeah. angel. Mm. I don't know. It's an interesting study, I guess, in... I think it, I heard of it more in the line of like modesty and in that talk where this pride in your beauty um, mm. can lead to great sin, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I'm just making stuff up as we go, but that's something I remember. So um, do you want to just read this little paragraph here? It says, fast forward to the 13th century when theologian Thomas Aquinas again revisited the list in Summa Theologica, Theologica? Yeah. Uh, which means summary of theology. In his list, he brought back sloth and eliminated sadness. Like Gregory, Aquinas described pride as the overarching ruler of the seven sins. Yep. So that's sort of um, a quick history as to how we got to our seven deadly sins. Um, I'm sure maybe at some point they've been rearranged and shuffled around again. But, you know, I think going back to Aquinas is pretty, pretty good for us. So yeah, I mean, what are the seven deadly sins, right? So do I have them here? Mm. Yep. So again, back to history.com, they have the seven deadly sins listed as number one, um, they say vainglory or pride. Again, we would do away with pride and just say vainglory. Um, and then it says right here, technically they aren't the same thing. Um, vainglory is the kind of uh, vice that makes us check our like counts on social media, right? It's not necessarily pride, but it's sort of maybe self-conceit, if you will. Um, it's just glory for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You're so, caring what people think of you or they like what you do or say. And then number two was avarice. Um, and I think that's essentially greed, right? Mm -hmm. It says... Uh, oh, yeah, for honor. Yeah, Gregory honor. the Great wrote that avarice is not just a desire for wealth, but for honors and high positions. 
Um, but I think we essentially tie mm-hmm. that to greed mostly in today's world. Number three is envy. That one's pretty understandable. Number four is wrath or anger. Mm-hmm. Five is lust. Number six is gluttony. And then number seven is sloth. So that's our seven deadly sins. And looking at doing this episode, you know, kind of looking at like, um, why talk about them, right? Like, what's the point? We've all heard about them. We've maybe even, me and Nikki were talking about the movie Seven, mm-hmm. which we don't recommend any Christians watch, but I did watch it. I and was really uh, young. it's one of those <laughs> movies that never leaves you. You know, like, there's certain movies that you see throughout your life that you may have even just seen once or twice, but you always remember them um, in certain scenes in there. And like, yeah, we don't need to get into the movie because it's a very sinful movie, but. Um, there are some certain scenes from Seven that you definitely stick out in your mind that uh, you'll never forget. But so the reason I wanted to talk about these, especially as we started getting into them, um, I was reading and it said the Catholic Church coined the seven deadly sins to awaken um, the Christians from a deep moral and spiritual slumber of wickedness. That was the reason why they coined these um deadly sins going back to Pope Gregory, this spiritual slumber, this wickedness that he saw in the church. And I thought, man, that is where we are today. I mean, in so many different aspects, you can talk about at the very best, a spiritual slumber. Yeah, definitely. Probably more likely a wickedness. I think we're too entertained. We just have too much on our minds. Worry and fear are a big one. Just too much coming at us to even focus on what we're supposed to be focused on, on God. Yeah, I mean, there's and a million reasons as to why we've gotten to where we are, but certainly slumber. the busyness yeah. of life, mm-hmm. um, that vainglory uh, mm-hmm. has a hold of us. But so I thought, just in light of where we are today with our spiritual slumber and our wickedness that abounds, I thought, you know what, maybe it's a good idea to revisit this idea of these virtues. And again, like I talked about, we really want to talk about gluttony. (laughs) That's one of the sins we definitely want to get into. Well, why did they have to say seven deadly sins and not just say, here's scripture, like this is what scripture says? Why do you have to coin them to get people to wake up? Well, I don't think that's uncommon, I guess. Um, You know, to sort of pull out ideas from scripture and then just put them in a logical order, essentially, instead of saying like, we're going to, you know, let's go to the sins. And you're like, flip to, and we'll pull them up right here right now, actually, you know, because there is no biblical account of the seven deadly sins. Um, You know, you can't flip to, you know, Proverbs 32. And it says, (laughs) here's the seven deadly sins that doesn't exist in scripture. So they're all pieced together from different parts of scripture. And, um, I can't remember where I pulled this list from, but I found a list of just a couple of verses. There might be more that we're missing, but Proverbs 6, uh, 16 through 19. Do you want to read that, honey? Says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. 
And then over on Galatians 5, 19 through 21 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Mm. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Mm. And then do you want to read this last one from Mark 7, 20 through 23? And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. you can sort of see... um, you know, obviously you get certain words that are word for word, right? Envy and these sorts of things. Uh, but then you can just sort of get those ideas um, of what the seven deadly sins are and how you could sort of pull out these verses and sort of piecemeal um, this this list of sins. And, you know, calling them the deadly sins, I think makes sense because all sin is deadly, right? If we go to mm-hmm. James one fifteen. He says, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Um, So all sin brings forth death. Um, Yeah. But is there anything to these seven specifically? Vainglory, avarice, sorry, envy, wrath, lust, gluttony, and sloth. Is there anything specific to these ones? That's just what they noticed. So they coined them. Well, and I think, too, what they talk about with why these ones um, specifically is because they saw these seven as root sins. Like these were um, like foundational sins that lead to all other sins, mm. right? Because you can look at something like lust and say, yes, lust in and of itself is a sin, but lust also leads you to sexual immorality, immodesty, mm-hmm. adultery, and all these other different things. Um, you know, you can go down the list with all of those vainglory obviously can lead you into. So I think, you know, like they said, they pulled these ones out as being root sins that can cause you to fall into multiple other sins. So if you're like, well, all I did was give into envy. Well, yeah, but that envy led you into a, a spider web of other sins, basically. Um, so if you, and again, that's sort of the idea of your, um, you know, trying to fight the symptom rather than the disease. So Mm -hmm. you may be like, well, I took care of my adultery. I'm not cheating on the wife anymore. Yeah, but you're still looking at porn and you're still, you know, doing all these other things that are lustful sins, right? So you're still a falling, you know, victim to that root sin. And I think in that sense, I think these seven deadly sins are just that. They're the deadly sins. I don't know that they're necessarily... Uh, stand alone on the mountaintop, but it makes sense to me that these ones would be set aside and also that they would pull pride out and say, you know, maybe where it's like these seven are the root of the tree. Pride is, or these seven are the trunk of the tree. Pride is the roots and all other sins are the branches coming off of that trunk. These are the parts that like 
they begin in your heart, you can hide them, but then they'll end up bearing fruit and be evident to everybody else. Then they'll see, oh, that was in their heart all along. They had me fooled. <laughs> yeah, because do you go like when you see somebody that's given into adultery and are you like, oh, my God, this dude is suffering from the sin of lust really bad or you're just like hey you got to stop cheating on your wife i mean obviously as a christian you should see deeper but um, these make sense to me and uh so that's what we're going to talk about going forward looking at each of these individually and also with that because they don't just have the seven deadly sins each sin actually has its own um accompanying virtue that is sort of attached to it as a way to combat that deadly sin. So the idea is if you um, walk in this virtue, you won't give in to this deadly sin. So they each match up there. So Yeah, but you can't walk in a godly virtue without being born again. We don't naturally possess those counteractive virtues. So that's like saying... You're going to battle against sin in your sinful flesh. That is what Jesus would say, a house divided against itself. Like your flesh wants to lose that battle. Right. And this would maybe just be, if you could think of, you know, the seven virtues is more of like your prayer uh, playbook. Like this is what I'm going to go to God for. This is what I'm praying for to counteract what I suffer from. Like if I know that I suffer from vainglory, um, the counteracting virtue is humility. So if you're like, I got to go to God and I have to pray for humility, that's going to be where right. I war. So this would be for believers because unbelievers are familiar with the seven deadly sins. They may not know what things are in the Bible because so many unbelievers try to say, oh, this isn't a sin because well, and I Jesus know, didn't specifically say that one is a sin. You know, I've never whole even argument. heard of the seven virtues until I looked into this. You always hear of the sins, you never hear of the virtues. Well, we can just look at it and say, oh, what's the opposite? Sure, we can. But they actually, again, people smarter and more theologically sound than us have done that. <laughs> and, well, I just don't want unbelievers to think they could stumble upon the contrary virtues and think, I'm going to practice this, because they're going to fail. Well, hopefully they try, and they realize they can't do it, and then they hear the gospel, and they hear that, you know, they can overcome with God. <laughs> right, I mean, but Why yes. would anybody care to overcome No, this? and that's important to make that distinction that these aren't just, you know, um, like random moral virtues. This is sort of that fruit of the Spirit, Mm-hmm. you know, working in you. So yes, finding Christ, having a relationship with Christ first sets you on the path towards, you know, letting these other virtues work into your life. Mm-hmm. So, um, but just to go over what the virtues are really quick. So for vainglory, the virtue is humility. For avarice or grease or grease, greed, uh, the virtue is liberality. Envy is kindness. Wrath is patience, which we always looked at that one weird. We're like patience, uh, but Do we'll not get be into that. Easily angered or quick tempered, right? And most of the time, when you give into wrath, it's probably a um, rash decision. Whereas if you would take time to think and 
Yeah. Be patient. You may not give into it. Um, Number five, lust. That one is chastity. Gluttony is abstinence. And then seven, sloth is diligence. So those are the seven deadly sins and corresponding virtues that we are going to discuss in the weeks ahead. Mm-hmm. So before we dive into our sermon recommendation for the week, do you have any final thoughts on news stories, the Bible topic, anything? Um, no. No. So our sermon recommendation, me and Nikki um, dropped the kids off at church on a Wednesday night, uh, and we went and had some coffee while we were kind of working on this episode a little bit, and we thought, well, we'll just search YouTube and find a random sermon to listen to. And we stumbled across this one from a church called The Cross Church and never heard of them, but listened to this sermon, The Glory of God, and it was awesome. Mm -hmm. It was just all about, you know, focusing on the beauty and the majesty of God. And I mean, I think that's a sermon we can never hear enough of. There's so many things I wanted to write down. I thought I'll listen to it later and write notes because there's so many like quotes. And I'm like, oh, I just want to send that out to some people and yeah, I'll get around to it. <laughs> no, it was a really good sermon. You know, I think he was uh, expositing on John 17, verse 1 through 5. Which is weird. I was just reading that like a day or two before. God was preparing your heart for that sermon. <laughs> But it was wonderful. Um, we don't know anything about the Cross Church. That's the first sermon we ever heard by this pastor. I don't even know what his name is. Um, but give it a listen. Uh, we really liked it. Mm-hmm. It really uplifted our spirit. It did. And just as a shameless plug for us, we have our Discord. We've got social media. If you listen to a good sermon that you think other people would want to listen to this, please send it to us. We're mm-hmm. always looking for sermons to plug on here. And, you know, we get in our little Christian wheelhouse where, like, I can't just plug Vody Bacham every week. Be like, oh, go <laughs> listen to Vody. Like, There's so many, like, our friends. Um, yeah, we want to hear your local pastors. Yeah. People we don't ever get a chance to stumble he's across. Good, he's a good preacher, though. Yeah, we posted uh, so from been... our friend Mandy and Brandon. They sent us from their church out in a little mountain town in Washington. We would have never stumbled on and it was a great sermon. Yeah. Awesome preaching. So if you got a sermon you're listening, if it's Vody, we want to hear it. You know, if it's <laughs> MacArthur, if it's Piper, if it's whoever, we want to hear that too. But yeah, don't don't keep those good sermons to yourself. Share them with the world. <laughs> and we will do that for you as best we can. So that is all we have. We will be back again on Monday with our devotionals. And um, yep, coming back next Saturday. Unless the world falls apart, talking about vain glory and humility. (laughs) That's all we got for you guys today. Love you. God bless. Mm